Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. On this episode of Anchored, Tom explains the criteria by which the early Christian church recognized the books that were truly from God. Now here's Tom, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. The earliest Christians really didn't address the issue of canonicity or established criteria for determining what books should be accepted in the canon at all. They just accepted them. We'll talk about why in a few minutes. They accepted the Old Testament Scriptures as they received them because Christ had accepted them. And everywhere the apostles went, they carried their most precious possession, the Old Testament Scriptures, and they held those Scriptures over the people as their absolute authority. Obviously, in addition to the Old Testament, the words and the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the apostles, whether orally passed on or whether in writing, was given equal authority in the early church. And so there really wasn't a question of, so what letters of Paul do we accept or not? That wasn't an issue. And again, we'll talk about why, Lord willing, next week. But early on, there was some need to determine the authenticity of a letter Paul wrote. And so, when Paul wanted to ensure his readers that the letters that were circulating were authentic, that they really were from him, he devised what was a sort of temporary test of canonicity. You remember what it was? He usually used a scribe when he, when he wrote the New Testament letters. He dictated. He used an amanuensis. But then at the end of the letter, he would sign it with his own hand. This is again and again true. Let me just show you a couple of examples. In fact, let me just show you one example in the interest of time. Look at 2 Thessalonians. I have five examples from five different epistles in my notes. So this is not uncommon, but let me just show you one. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. I, Paul write this greeting, in other words, here at the very end of this letter, with my own hand. Why does he do this? Here's why. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, I understand that there may be letters circulated as though they are from me. We read about that even in the New Testament. And Paul says, I'm going to make sure you know that even though I'm dictating the letters and somebody else is writing them, I want you to know that I am behind this letter, and so I'm going to sign it. I'm going to authenticate it with my own signature. So the concept of authenticating the original documents or the inspired documents really goes back even to New Testament times. But it really wasn't until the second century A.D., that the first attacks came on the canonicity of certain biblical books. It was about 160 A.D. when the Gnostic heretic Marcion rejected the entire Old Testament and accepted as his canon only a heavily edited version of Luke and Acts and ten what he called corrected epistles of Paul. 
This was 160 AD. And so you can see that very quickly, this became a problem for the church. What had never been a problem became a problem. And so, because of attacks like Marcion's, the leaders of the church began to be concerned about the issue of the canon. They determined, in light of that, a set of criteria, this is very important, a set of criteria for supporting the authenticity of books that had already been universally accepted. In other words, they weren't voting to say, well, let's see, you think that book's in? I don't know. I don't think, I don't like what that book says. No. They devised a a set of criteria simply to say, here's why the churches have already accepted these letters or these books. Now, the criteria are these. First of all, apostolicity. Was the book written by an apostle or by one who received his endorsement? By the way, there's a reason this sounds New Testament and not Old Testament. We'll talk about it in a moment. It's because the Old Testament canon had already been settled a long time before. It was not in question. Apostolicity. Second, antiquity. Was it written during the age of the apostles since only books from that era could be considered? Orthodoxy. Was the book doctrinally correct and in agreement with the apostolic faith, particularly concerning Christ? Catholicity. Was the book already universally accepted throughout the church? Lection. Was the book widely read and used in the weekly worship of the church? And inspiration. Did the book have the qualities of an inspired writing as compared with other already accepted inspired writings? Those became the criteria for the church recognizing books as belonging to the canon. But this is so important to get. They were not voting on which books to include. They were countering heretics and saying, here's why the church has already accepted these books. Now, the issue of canonicity was already in process in the age of the apostles. Paul, for example, in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul recognize Luke's writings as equal to the Scripture. In 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes Luke 10.7, and he calls it Scripture. Remember, they were contemporaries. Luke traveled with Paul, and yet Paul's already identifying it as Scripture. Peter acknowledged that Paul's letters were Scripture. In 2 Peter 3.15 and 16, He says some people, particularly the the misled, distort these hard things written in the Apostle Paul, and they distort them as they do the rest of Scripture. So Peter calls the writings of Paul, a contemporary of his, Scripture. The churches were reading these letters to their congregations and were circulating these letters. In Colossians 4.16, Paul says, make sure this letter is read in the church. And so 
the process was already in place, but the early church fathers, those men who led the church in the post-apostolic era, so think after the apostles, they also refer in their writings to the New Testament books as part of the canon of Scripture. Here are some examples. Clement of Rome, who who lived and wrote, and particularly wrote around 95 AD, he mentions eight of the New Testament books. That doesn't mean he didn't accept the others. He just happened to have mentioned eight in his writings. Ignatius, 115 AD, mentions seven books. Polycarp, who was a disciple of the Apostle John around 108 AD, acknowledged 15 New Testament letters. Irenaeus, 185 A.D. listed 21 New Testament books in his writings. Again, not saying those were the only books, but rather simply mentioning them as he he taught and as he wrote. Hippolytus, at the end of the second century, in the beginning of the third century, lists 22 books in our New Testament. The Muratorian Canon, written in 170 A.D., was a compilation of the books acknowledged as canonical at that time universally. It included all of the New Testament except Hebrews, James, and the epistles of John. We'll talk about that next week when we get to the New Testament. Athanasius, who wrote around 367 A.D., cited the 27 books of the New Testament that you have in your Bible as being the only true New Testament books from God. In addition to that, there were several church councils. There was the Council of Laodicea in 363 AD, which stated that only the Old Testament, as is in your Bible, and the 27 books of our New Testament were to be read in the churches. At the Council of Hippo in 393 They again affirmed the 27 books of our New Testament. At the Council of Carthage in 397 AD, they affirmed that only those canonical books were to be read in the churches. Now, the decisions of those church councils were made by measuring the individual books of Scripture against the criteria I showed you a few minutes ago. Now, if you're a thinking person, you realize that those tests that I showed you, apostolicity, um, orthodoxy, inspiration, lection, etc., those are all helpful to some degree, but they're not very satisfying. They're not decisive. Because you see, there are those who believe that the church councils did not merely affirm the books that were accepted by the church, but rather the church councils actually determined which books were to be in the canon. There are people who believe that mere men got together in the church councils and subjectively decided what is and is not the Word of God several hundred years after the books were written. Now, that's a terrible way to have confidence in our Scripture. Frankly, honestly, that process, if that were true, that process isn't much different from the Roman Catholic Church deciding which books to grant its authority. Or the guys in the Jesus Seminar, you remember a number of years ago, who were voting 
based on what they thought, what are the genuine sayings of Christ in the Gospels and which ones aren't. Just people voting. That's very unsatisfying. And if that's where your confidence is in the scriptures you hold, that confidence can be rattled, I promise you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.